Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. Dr. Gray obtained his master's in both acupuncture and oriental medicine from the Atlantic Institute of Oriental Medicine. Dr. Gray enjoys both being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Germany and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and France. He is co-author of several books on food therapy. His office is in Jupiter, Florida, where he has practiced for over a decade and where he resides. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Change the world as we change ourselves. Die from the sicknesses if we don't seek the health. All eyes be my witness when I speak was felt. Full house on my hands, the cars I was dealt. Three K's, two A's in America. I'm just a black space born out the nebula. And everything I do will say today is worthwhile. With assurance by your action and your first child. I begin my first now. Sometimes I speak and I feel like it ain't my words. Like I'm just a vessel channeling inside this universe. I feel my ancestors arrested inside of me. It's like they want me to shoot my chance to change the society. But how do I go about it? Tell me where I start. My destiny rerouted when I chose to follow heart. You told to Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, Quality Living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray, Holistic Physician. We thank you for joining us every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard on 88.9 FM. That is uh, WQCS, NPR of the Treasure Coast. Any part of the show and any shows uh, prior, if you would like to just listen again or catch up with us, Public uh, Radio Exchange, prx.org, is a very available service and free. So just go in there and look up Maximum Health and you'll find all our past shows and... Uh, we look forward to just keeping you on air with us because we have a lot to share with you. It's a new guest every week, and it's really wonderful. I, I, I have some of the most pleasurable experiences with our guests, and uh, we thank you for your, your support. Today's topic is a visions of a fiscally healthy nation. And as you know, we cover all aspects of health here because true health is, is has many facets to it. And I invited a very amazing person, a, a, per, a person of public service for many years on the Hill and <laughs> and, and other in other places as well. But uh, for sure, we have Mr. Bob Shapiro, the chief of staff of the joint, the former chief of staff of the Joint Committee on Taxation and prior was the assistant chief of staff. So thank you for joining us, sir. I'm glad to be here, Ken. Um, so you have a lot of history behind you, and you have done so much for us in so many ways. But I think what I wanted to get from you today was a little bit of your knowledge and just uh, some thoughts and, like we said, visions of a fiscally healthy nation. So tell us a little bit about your past and what you did for our country. Okay. When you say the um, Joint Committee of Taxation, that is of the Congress, uh, the Joint Committee is created um, – a while back when the, for, to help write the tax laws for the House Committee on Ways and Means and the Senate Committee on Finance, we had a, a nonpartisan staff because taxes are somewhat complicated. Now, in my day, it was a little different. Today, it's become very partisan, but in my day, we were able to work with a consensus. We never had to worry about filibusters, and we worked with both Democrats and Republicans in a bipartisan way. So the tax policy over the years has been drafted that way. Uh, we're running into some tougher times, but let me address the point you raised. And that is about a healthy nation. Uh, we have seen that when the economy is doing well, people have jobs, the economy is growing, people feel good. When we get into a recession and jobs get tighter and the, um, the interest rates go up, 
um, and people have problems, then fiscally it affects people's health. And therefore, having a growing economy is very important. And that's what every president, every Congress, and every administration strives to do, is to grow the economy with the tax laws and other economic policy to have jobs, to um, create wealth, have the gross national product go up, try to keep inflation under control. Uh, Federal Reserve Board has some impact on that. And if that does occur and we have a healthy economy, that affects people's health and they tend to feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a great portion of, of the nation that feels, well, the country should be run as a business. And then there's another portion that thinks a little bit more holistically, well, the country should be run as an organism, <laughs> a living, breathing organism. And, you know, I'm thinking when you did this, when you performed your duties uh, for our, our government, it was during the Carter years, correct? Um, yes, I was there um, starting in the 1960s. Okay. So I was there during the end of the Johnson administration, the yeah. Nixon, Ford, Carter, and the beginning of Reagan. So I was there crossing a number of administrations, both Democrat and Republican. So there was a lot of changes going on during that time. And there was constant changes, especially in taxation. I should point out then, at that time, the U.S. was dominant. Um, We we could do our tax policy and control the global economy. Today, the the global economy, we're just a part of it. We're a big part of it. Right. But um, we're only 5% of the products that are produced and sold in the United States. 95% of the market is outside the U.S., that's why the global economy is so important today, different mm-hmm. than it was back in the 60s and before. It's a huge different, it's a different picture. It's a different way of thinking. Absolutely. And I think that's something that it's hard for <clears throat> nationalists or people that are very pro-U.S. to, to understand that we're part of something larger now. It's, it's, it's changed. And we're not as dominant as we used and to be. we're not as dominant. We used to be able to make, to take positions and control yeah. the global economy and our tax policy and all of our policies. Um, we were just a dominant leader. Yeah. But as we can tell today, that is not the case. No. And, and, and for those politicians that try to sell us this sort of separatist idea in order to contain something, it's really not healthy for us. Well, they're finding that the world is different and that the population is different. We have a divided country in many mm-hmm. respects. Yeah. Um, you know, you can. I've heard a number of people attribute it to the fact that we're slightly right of center, yeah. yet the Congress is polarized between the right and the left. In my day, I was very fortunate that we had a middle. We worked in the middle. We, extro- we ignored the extreme right, we ignored the extreme left, we worked in the middle, and that's how we developed a consensus. It is tough to develop consensus today, and you can't do it with one party or, or one ideology. It's got to be something that is a compromise in the middle. Why do you think that there's so many people not willing to put progress first that are in power? Because they, they all think that their way is the right way. Right. I don't want to attribute anything in a negative way. No, no. They, it's, it's, they have, yeah. they, we're all a part of it, so it doesn't... That's correct. <laughs> yeah. And I think what, what used to happen in the past that not happened today is the art of compromise. Yeah. You can't get your complete agenda. You have to compromise and get something that's in the middle, slightly right or center where the country is. But it seems like both parties are polarized, and they believe their ideology is correct. And for them, it is. And the constituents who sent them believe that way. But that's not the whole country. And that's not how, how you get legislation enacted. Um, and we've seen that's what's happening right now. You know, what you're saying in, reminds me of this story I just heard. And it was a story of a, a young man who uh, spent many years in the Congo. And he was from the U.S. And he went there to try to help save the lives of these individuals fighting in this war for many, you know, for now a couple generations. And he did it without guns. 
he, he helped convert a lot of, you know, without soldiers, without guns, without political support, he went there individually, sat under a tree, and as these soldiers would pass by, they'd come and talk to him, peculiar, you know, interested in his thoughts and why he was there, sipping on tea amongst all of this war. And he, the way he converted the, uh, many of the soldiers to put down their arms and go back to, uh, you know, regular life, was he shared with them the fact that not that so much that they were wrong or there was a right or wrong, but that while they were holding on to the past, that the future was passing them and their future and their children <laughs> it was just passing them. It was leaving them behind. And so they realized this. And in that instance, they decided there was no longer to, reason to hold on to the past. And then they were able to grow and probably go on to have better lives than they were having holding these guns in the jungle, which was not a pleasant thing. So, you know, I hear what you're saying. It it seems like everybody wants to point the finger of who's right and who's wrong, but it's not in our best interest. And you come from a time when our best interest was in everyone working together. In all fairness, you're correct. However, it was a lot easier then. You didn't have the issues that you have today. Look at what just happened on Tuesday, and that is that North Korea having another missile and there's a concern that if they were to put nuclear weapons on those missiles and hit the, the, the lower 48, yeah. that could possibly happen. Yeah. Uh, down the road several years, but that's a concern why it needs to be dealt with now because of our security. Then you have in Syria the poisoning of the, the planes, sending poisoning gas that was attributed to the Syrian government then. We didn't have those things right. before. And um, the United States controlled the nuclear world, it controlled um, how things were done, and you didn't have these types of leaders. So the world is a lot more complicated mm-hmm. today, which made the, today's times very difficult to deal with. President Trump campaigned on America first, and a lot of that resonated with a lot of people. But then again, some things that are going around the world can have an effect on the security of America. So there's a great deal of concern as to how we look to the future based on what's going on today. And the past was a different environment, different era. And although things worked a lot better, there was a reason for that mm-hmm. because we didn't have a global economy in a world situation that the U.S. didn't dominate. Yes. Now, there's a lot of talk about, well, your specialty was in taxation, right? That's, That's finance. And there's a lot of talk about that now because uh, there's some focus on what should be done about the system of taxation. Should we do away with it, which has been done over, uh, they say every 32 years or something, it, it seems to have occurred that taxation has changed. Um, we obviously have personal and we have corporate interests on both ends, wanting different changes. Where do you see us going? Well, that's a very difficult thing, uh, but your point is well taken. That's what's before the Congress right now. The two major aspects, one is the corporate world and the second is individual. Individual drives politicians because they vote. On the other hand, the corporate world is totally out of touch in our tax policies with our U.S. multinationals Mm -hmm. and the rest of the world. What's happened is uh, we used to have the lowest rate in the world. 1986 was the last tax reform bill. We had a 35% corporate tax rate, which is lowest in the world. Now we're the highest. The rest of the world came down finding that low corporate rates work. Then we have a different system, the U.S. taxes income worldwide. The rest of the world doesn't do that. It's a very complicated thing in our limited time. I'm not going to go over those details. But we have to adapt to what's going on around the world to make our U.S. multinationals more competitive. And there's a concern among a number of politicians that U.S. corporations should pay more. On the other hand, corporations around the world have given certain benefits by their home countries. In order to make our U.S. multinationals more effective and more competitive, we've got to adapt some of those rules. It's recognized doing it on a revenue-neutral basis, meaning winners and losers, is difficult. 
And then you get to the other side, individual tax policy. Mm-hmm. Most politicians want to cut taxes for individuals because that makes them feel good. You, when you do that, when we're in a deficit situation, and you've got to do that on a revenue-neutral basis, means you have winners and losers. Right. That makes it very difficult for politicians, too. Do you subscribe to this idea of uh, streamlining individual taxation in, in regards to uh, lowering it you know, substantially, but then doing away with all of these sort of, uh, you know, different line items that you can deduct. <laughs> um, that's the only way you're going to really be able to okay. have a revenue neutral bill. Okay. Um, the, the higher income people tend to have most of those deductions yeah. and benefits. You lower the rates in general, um, and you kind of have, the, that's the way you get a neutral system. Yeah. Um, but, but I will tell you that when you have winners and losers, you have constituencies for winners and losers. Yeah. The winners want it, the losers don't like it, and you have problems. And um, some people have talked about a flat rate simplification, a flat rate tax. That won't work. You give the higher income people a big tax cut and the lower income people, some of them get some raises in that when you have a flat rate. So a flat rate system, although it sounds good, will not work. Flattening it from the standpoint of, of reducing some of the deductions in order to reduce some of the rates is the only way to do it but therefore, it's difficult because the winners and losers, and that's what Congress will be struggling to accomplish. Yeah, putting the cause first, <laughs> putting the people first. It, you have to look at the cost and everything and how you have it in a revenue-neutral basis, unless you have what another term that's been used is called feedback. When you, when you reduce taxes and you provide incentives, and therefore you have growth down the road, you generate more revenue. So if you can put that feedback into the system today, you can lose some revenue today because you make it up later. Right. That's a very tricky proposition, but it's getting a lot of attention. Yeah. You know, going forward, we can only truly learn from our past to, to not make the same mistakes. Since the 1960s, you've been serving in government. And I wanted to sort of ask you, is there any similarities to where we are, where we're going, and some of the situations that you were involved in back then? Um, the world's changed. And, you know, I look at change as not necessarily good or bad. It's just different. There's some aspects of it that are good, some aspects of it that are not good. But um, I will tell you, today's times are very difficult because of our global economy, world conditions, um, and it's a very difficult political situation. And we're seeing the struggles that this president, this Congress, whether it's Democrat or Republican, have in feeling that their way is the right way. So um, it was a different environment. So I can look back 50-some years ago in the 1960s, say it worked different then. But the world was different. It was easier to accomplish things. And um, some of the leaders we had then that were very effective would have trouble today um, because of that situation. I've heard some people say, let's bring back some of those leaders, Democrats and Republicans, from the early eras. That doesn't mean they would be as effective today because the issues are a lot more complicated today. Mm. You know... Uh, again, for those just tuning in, we're sitting here with a very significant individual, um, person of public service. Uh, Mr. Bob Shapiro was the uh, is a for- was a former chief uh, staff of the Joint Committee on Taxation of the U.S. Congress from 1977 to 1981, and the Assistant Chief of Staff from 1974 to 1977. Uh, was a member of staff since. 1967. Uh, and again, thank you so much for all that you're sharing with us. Prior to that, you share with us a little bit of your ed- education, what brought you to that area of public service. Okay, I, I'm from Virginia, so I went to college in Virginia, Washington Lee, then I went to law school at Georgetown Law School. So I was in Washington, and I went to the Hill in my third year of law school to as an intern for the congressional staff, 
and they asked me to stay. So after law school, I spent 15 years on the staff. Um, I have a master's degree and a CPA, and that's the right type of background to be working on the tax area. And as I indicated earlier, the Joint Committee uh, on Taxation is a staff that does all the techno-tax work for the Ways and Means Committee in the House, the Finance Committee in the Senate in a nonpartisan way. Now, when it gets to the partisan issues, the members take over, but we talk about the policy we think is the right policy for the country's tax system, but then they have the political issues that they have to deal with and the way they feel they have to look at it. For those of us out there that are involved in politically and otherwise and interested, there's so many, like you said, that you keep saying, and, and it's so true, the world has changed. Every, information is one thing that's changed. We can access so much. And you were talking prior to being on the air that a lot of the congressional <laughs> ongoings wasn't such public knowledge, and then C-SPAN came along. What do you suggest for us to become more involved, more knowledgeable in the right way? Because I'm sure Twitter and all of these social media uh, you know, aspects out there that are confusing the public just really throw us off at times. Well, that's a very good um, point that you're raising, and I'm going to make some observations about the past and talk about how difficult it is in the present. Um, in the early days when I was there, we used to have committee sessions that were closed, meaning the press weren't there, the public wasn't there, and people thought they were smoke-filled back rooms that made deals. That was not the case. You could actually make good laws back then, both in the tax area and other areas, because you could do the right thing. But then you went to open sessions, and you had 24-hour news, and the press was at all the sessions, the public was there, the lobbyists were there, and all of a sudden members of Congress were accountable as to what they did and what they said, and they wanted to please their constituents who sent them there. Mm -hmm. And then it, it made it very difficult to make some de decisions based on what they thought were the right policies, although that's what they were sent there for, when it may not have been the right thing that the lobbyists or the constituents sent them there for. So you can say on the one hand, having more sunshine in the system may be appropriate for the public to know what goes on. On the other hand, the result may not have been the best. A good example of that could be in the corporate world. Corporations don't have open board meetings. If they did, you may find different things being done and said than you have in a closed session where many times they're able to do things that they feel are right for the company but may not be perceived to be the right thing. So this is the way the world is today. We have to live with it. We're not going back. We're not going to closed sessions. Right. A lot of deals or agreements are made privately. Um, then they come out publicly, but you're not going to go where the committee itself meets in closed session like they used to. Mm -hmm. I can see that changes everything. And, you know, something made me think about these. You don't see that in the corporate uh, sector, but, you know, so many of these places, they call those times the war room because <laughs> that's where you devise your battles. And then it made me think of other things like, you know, when we were at war, these bigger wars, uh, we could justify charging more taxes and upping prices and all these sort of things would change. But it's almost seeming like, I don't know if it seems the way to you, we're in a constant war all the time. And we've just become so desensitized to it. And there's a cost to that. And sometimes we pay it and I don't know. It, do you see what I'm saying? I certainly do. The U.S. has become the world's keeper, and, yeah. and um, we have been involved with our foreign aid yeah. and every war, whether it affects the United States or not. Um, some are concerned that it may down the road yeah. be cause certain of, of trying to protect the United States. But um, we have become the world's keeper in effect yeah. that we've uh, had policies to get foreign aid and to be uh, the world's keeper by having troops all over. That costs money, yeah. and um, it takes it away from development and production in the United States to do that. 
that doesn't mean it's bad, but we have to realize that's where a lot of our dollars are going, and you have to raise the taxes in order to accommodate the U.S. position in a global economy, in a global world. Any thoughts on healing that? And I know that's probably a show onto its own, but when I say that we're in a constant war, there's always something on the news. And like I said, we become so desensitized because it's just one more incident. It's one more bomb. It's one more, you know, killing. It's one more, and, and it's happening all over the world. And like you said, we're involved because we become world's keeper. How can we become maybe more diplomatic or change this pattern? Well, we've become a point where the U.S., in the past was dominant, we could do those things and control. Today we can't. And a lot of countries and areas of the world resent the U.S. involvement, the fact that we get involved in that respect. And therefore it's caused more issues. In the old days, you didn't have the 24-hour news. Some of this, these things went on, we just didn't know about them. But we've been glamorized and there is a concern that some people are doing more acts of terrorism, individual acts of terrorism, because they get a lot of publicity for it. Mm. They didn't get that publicity before. No. They know about it more. Yeah. And that's complicating the situation. Yeah. Um, d um, d conversation is the best way to heal things, talking it out. Yeah. But unfortunately, the U.S. needs a lot of support and a lot of allies. Yeah. Um, as you know, President Trump campaigned on the view that the U.S. paid too much for NATO in other areas. Other countries shall pay their own way since we're protecting them. And that's gotten a lot of interest and concern that should we be footing the bill for everything or globally was the point, one of the points you're raising, a lot of our dollars are going to try to secure the rest of the world. Should other countries that are, have our allies the U.S. help um, pay for some of that? Those are very difficult questions. Um, on the surface, you say obviously yes, but then, it could, then the question is we're the wealthiest country in the world and what responsibility do we have? So there's always two sides to everything, which makes it difficult. Yeah. So again, this is a visions of a fiscally healthy nation with Mr. Bob Shapiro. And um, if you were to sum it up in a nutshell, which uh, that nut would be probably too huge to do, but if you give us three points to sort of maybe dwell on or meditate on or take away from this show of how we could become a more fiscally healthy nation, whether it's individually or corporately, what would you suggest? Well, the one thing I would say is that our political world, which controls all of that, has got to use the art of compromise. Um, meeting together, working together, getting together in a room with the president, Democrats and Republicans, uh, the leaders of the Congress, and saying, the president's got to say, I can't get my full agenda, go to the Democrats and Republicans, because there are differences, in both, even in the Republican Party. You can't get your entire your agenda. We have responsibility to this country to do the right thing for the country and to compromise. Let's see if we can't put ourselves together in this room and help work with the, the, the issues that we think are important to this country and to compromise to do the best thing we can for our country. When you get to globally, we've got to do some of the same thing, bring some of the other leaders together and see what we think is the right thing for our global world and the marketplace and economy where we can work together with them and they can be a part of it, we can be part of it, where we're no longer dominant. So I think conversation, talking, and compromising, work things out, is the right way to deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know, as a healer, that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. That's what I feel that my purpose is. And it sounds like when you were in your position, that's the way you approached what you did. You, you, you heal through a balanced system of checks and balances that would work for many. Um, I feel that we are in a time where and, and I want to focus more on the positive, not the negative, but there is a sense of shakiness as a nation. And some of that attributes to our current president. Is there any advice 
and maybe advice may be too strong of a word, but maybe suggestions of what you'd like to see, or visions that you'd like to see uh, going forward from our current president. One of the, I, I think that, um, and once again, I don't want to get in the middle of politics. Yes. My job on the Hill was to work with both parties, Democrats, yeah. Republicans, and liberals, moderates, conservatives. So I do not have an ideology or dealing with one party. And I've never registered. I've been an independent mm-hmm. my entire career because of that. Um, but I think that... And that's a very important point for our audience. It, that was my yeah. position. And that's why you're, you're hearing me talk a lot today about a, a balanced position, yes. trying to bring them together. You truly and live that. <laughs> I, I had to live it. Yeah. And I didn't want to say one side is right or wrong to bring them together. I think that that with the a way that should have happened in hindsight, it's, it's always either easy than foresight. What we should have done is done infrastructure first. The entire country believes that we have problems with our bridges and our roads and our infrastructure. Democrats, Republicans, and the, all the people agree with that. How to fix it and how to pay for it may be a concern. But the point is, if you get everybody in the room to say, we need to fix the infrastructure first, then you got people working together. Number two, everybody realizes that the economy, long-term growth is critically important. Jobs, growth, and that's important for people and their well-being and their health, their financial health and their well-being and their physical health. And then you'd get a lot of bipartisanship in that area. That's number two they should have done. Healthcare is most difficult because that's extraordinarily partisan. But if you work together on infrastructure, then tax reform, and then healthcare, I think we'd have more bipartisanship, more compromise, and I think it'd be a better way to go. I would, I would encourage the political world today to try to deal with that. <clears throat> Put healthcare aside for the short term and to go to infrastructure, work on taxes, which they're doing, and deal with healthcare after you've got everybody working together in a hopefully somewhat of a bipartisan compromise mm-hmm. way to the best extent possible. That's it. <laughs> it seems extremely perfectly right, harmonious, and uh, I thank you so much. This has been extremely enlightening, and um, I feel inspired. And I feel that if we have more of you out there, or at least people that listen to you and, and then take some of this wisdom and experience to heart, we're looking at a better, more improved country. Thank you. I've certainly enjoyed being here and participating with you. Thank you. This has been another Maximum Health Quality Living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. And if any part of the show has been missed by you, uh, please, prx.org is a wonderful resource. And uh, we'll see you next time. To keep the bus.